Is this work? Oh, yeah, there we go. How's everyone doing tonight? Uh, I'm, I'm very excited and honored to be here tonight. I think this is uh, the fourth year or fifth year that I've uh, been here at E3 to do a Seder and to discuss the elements of Passover for everybody. And uh, I've got to say from just from the get-go, this is something that is not only very sacred to me and to other Jews and Christians, it's, it, it has something... It has a mixture of emotions. There's a lot of happiness. There's sadness. Um, at different times during the Seder, when I've done this in the past, I sometimes have to stop when we get to certain parts because there's things about that Jesus did in the New Testament when he's going through the Last Supper that um, just really get to me. And so if that kind of happens tonight, I just sort of ask um, maybe your forgiveness for that if I have to stop and get a little choked up. But it's, 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 it's such a personal thing. I think, uh, let me, show of hands, how many people have been to a Seder before? Oh, so most people kind of know um, what we're doing here tonight. For those who aren't familiar with it, this will be a new experience. I'm very excited to be able to share this with you. What we're going to be doing, as Dan had mentioned, is going through the different elements of the Seder. And to do that, we're going to be using what's uh, it's called a Haggadah, which is, which is in front of you. Uh, Dan said it's going to be somewhat of a short version, and he's right. It's, uh, a, a, a good one is about two to two and a half hours. Uh, an excellent one is about three and a half to four hours. So we're really doing a Seder light version tonight. There's going to be a lot of jumping around in the Haggadah because I want to be able to hit on important themes, make sure that we touch on the elements that Jesus touched on as well as some of the Jewish customs to really give you guys a picture of what it was that Jesus celebrated before uh, he was betrayed and, and went up for the crucifixion and the resurrection. So um, first a little bit, I wanted to talk for a few minutes about who I am and uh, what I do. I, I am a Hebrew Christian. Um, both of my parents were Jewish. They were raised Jewish. My dad was from Brooklyn, New York. So he was, you know, like Paul would say, he was a Jew of the Jews. And uh, he studied with a lot of the top rabbis in Brooklyn. Uh, one of his, one of his uh, main mentors was actually a Holocaust survivor who was very well known in Brooklyn at the time. And so uh, my mom was from Colorado. They met through sort of Jews for Jesus. They both became Christians, didn't know where to go. And they met up in Colorado as if that's a big meeting place for new Jewish Christians. Um, and, and so my experience as a Hebrew Christian is different than, than many adults who are Jewish and ultimately find Jesus. Um, I grew up in a family that loved Jesus. My parents uh, were shunned by their family when they sort of rejected the Judaism and accepted Jesus as, as their Messiah. I've only been able to see a little bit of what that feels like because we're sort of shunned by our, our parents' families, and so we have very strenuous relationships with aunts and uncles and grandparents and cousins because they don't agree with the fact that we've chosen Jesus as the Messiah. And so if that's sort of any indication of what maybe doing something like a Passover, which is, it's a very Jewish holiday, to put any type of messianic or Christian tinge on it, a lot of times that comes with a lot of backlash, but it's something that is important to do. It has biblical roots, um, and as you'll see, it's, there, there's acts that are within the Seder that the Jews themselves didn't understand why they were doing. As Tevye would say, it's tradition, it's tradition. And we do these things because that's what we do. Even if there's not necessarily an explanation, um, our people have lived by tradition. So some of the things we do tonight, um, there's actually a very good explanation that Jesus gave. And it's not readily understood in the context of the New Testament. So I'll be able to illuminate some of those things. And hopefully everyone will come away with you know, a little better understanding of Jesus and why the Passover was important. So the Seder itself, it's highly symbolic. Every action we do, every prayer we read, every food we eat has a degree of symbolism to it. 
uh, and it represents in large part the story of the Exodus, of God delivering his people from Egypt. Uh, So most people are familiar with that story. We're just going to touch on that later on. Uh, And so we're going to go through and talk about all of the different pieces that are in front of you. The reason that we do a Seder from a Jewish perspective is that we're commanded to. Um, And when God tells us to do something, as Jews, generally we're supposed to do it or else face some type of penalty. There's 613 laws. One of them is celebrate the Passover, so we're going to celebrate the Passover. Uh, the, The familiarity that many people might have or the only exposure a lot of people might have with the idea of Passover and Seder is in Mark 14. Uh, And so I'm going to read a portion of that, and then we're going to go directly into the Haggadah and start eating some food and eating some spicy stuff. So uh, reading from Mark 14, starting in verse 12. On the first day of unleavened bread, when when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples asked him, where do you want us to go and prepare the Passover so you may eat it? So he sent two of his disciples and told them, go into the city and a man carrying a water jug will meet you. Follow him. Wherever he enters, tell the owner of the house, the teacher says, where is the guest room for me to eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, furnished and ready. Make the preparations for us there. So the disciples went out, entered the city, and found it just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. One of the interesting pieces of this verse, just in terms of a little bit of expository teaching here, is that a lot of times when we read this and we read about the Passover, we think of the disciples going with Jesus. They go to a room, and there's food there. They say, go make the Passover, and it's going to be prepared. Uh, What actually happens is in Jewish customs, the, the, the women were actually responsible for making the Passover. And so, to me, it gives a real comprehensive picture that that Passover was very inclusive. It wasn't just Jesus and his disciples that were celebrating the ceremony. The, uh, the, the wives, some of the kids, other family members were there, and it was a very together holiday. So um, that helps frame it a little bit more instead of the picture that we see in, in paintings, where it's just the disciples sitting at this one long table, and there's Jesus, and, and you know, they have wine, and Jesus has his flowing hair going on. There were women there too, and there were kids there too, because again, Passover was a happy holiday. There were things to celebrate, and there were things to recognize, but there were things to be sad about. And so it was important that there were kids there, because part of the Haggadah, part of the teaching, is to teach your children. Um, so that's why it's important to celebrate it with your closest family members. And there'll be things uh, within this Seder Light version that include the kids. So if you're a kid, part of it's going to be boring, but part of it's going to be really exciting too, hopefully. So starting in the Haggadah, uh, we're going to start on, on page one. And the, the way this is going to work is that sometimes I'll be reading directly from this. Uh, other times I'll be asking you to respond or we'll be reading together. Uh, so the compilation of passages and rituals used for the Passover is known as the, of the, as the Haggadah. It comes from the word Vahigata. Exodus 13.8 says, On that day tell your son. Haggadah means to tell, and so we tell the story of the Passover and of God's redemptive grace. The Haggadah was originally brief. Succeeding generations have added their interpretations, legends, and traditions. There are now thousands of different versions of the Haggadah. This Haggadah, for Christians, I'm going to ad-lib a little too, has been prepared for the purpose of showing God's redemptive grace in the Passover through the death, burial, and resurrection of his Messiah, the Lord Jesus. It is written, in the same way after the supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Uh, Moving on to page three for the searching for leaven. Uh, it's the Bedachath Chumetz, the searching for leaven. 
When God commanded the children of Israel to leave Egypt, he commanded them to eat only unleavened bread with the Passover meal. For seven days, no yeast is to be found in your houses, and whoever eats anything with yeast in it must be cut off from the community of Israel, whether he's an alien or native-born. Eat nothing made with yeast. Wherever you live, you must eat unleavened bread. The scriptures declare that leaven is a symbol for sin. With the destruction of the temple, the unleavened bread became a substitute for the Passover lamb, which was to be perfect, without spot or blemish. Our Messiah Jesus made the unleavened bread a symbol of his own sacrifice for our sins. Concerning the leaven, it is written, Your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little yeast works through the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast, that you may be a new batch without yeast, as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the festival, not with the old yeast, the yeast of malice and wickedness, but with bread without yeast, the bread of sincerity and truth. Let us search out the leaven of sin in our lives, and let us keep the feasts of unleavened bread, the Passover. As it is written, a man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. And so what we're going to do now is it's traditional in the Jewish home before Passover actually starts is that the parents will take the kids around the house and you're supposed to remove any, anything with leaven, any bread, anything with yeast in and out of the house. And so as a kid, it's a lot of fun because it involves fire. Fire will not be involved tonight for obvious reasons. But if there's any volunteers to help me, there's some bread in this area right around here that I need help collecting and I can't do it myself because I have to oversee. We have two volunteers right there. Come on up. So I need one person to help with the bag. Actually, I need another. Come on up. Yeah, you too. <clears throat> we need one person to hold a bag, one person to hold a spoon, and one person to help find. Okay, you're going to find. Do you want to help find two? You can help find two. Okay. So when we find the bread, you can't touch it because that represents sin. We don't want sin all over our hands. So we have to look around and see if we can find bread. See any bread? There's a dinosaur, but that's not bread. <laughs> I, I, I could start a whole new routine. <gasps> What's, what was that? Where's this? Okay, don't touch it. You got to use this. So who has the bag? Where's the bag? Okay, so put the bag next to the bread, and can you s- scoop it in? Don't worry. It's only a year-old bread. All right, good job. That's one. I think there's one more. Oh, here it is. Not the wine. All right, good job. Now, can you stick the spoon in the bag? All right, thank you very much. So after we find the bread, we stick the spoon in the bag, and then we burn it. And so my parents, we would take it in a trash bag and stick it in the cellar because we wanted to keep our leaven. Uh, but we would remove it, we would hold on to a period of time, and then we would, we would say a prayer. Baruch atah Adonai, Eloheinu melech asher kiddushanu b'mitzvah sovitz ivanu al b'yor chometz. 
Blessed are you, Lord our God, ruler of the universe, who has sanctified us through commandments, commanding us to destroy all chametz. On page six, uh, there's, it describes the four cups of wine. So throughout the Seder, uh, not only did the disciples and Jesus drink wine, they drank four cups of wine. Wine was very popular. Uh, and so that, there, during the Passover Seder, each cup represents something separate. Uh, as we read through the Haggadah, we'll see the cup of wine is drunk four times, and they stand for the four I wills that are recorded in Exodus 6, uh, 6 and 7. Therefore, tell the Israelites, I am Yahweh, and I will deliver you from the forced labor of the Egyptians and free you from slavery to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and great acts of judgment. I will take you as my people, and I will be your God. You will know that I am your God who delivered you from the forced labor of the Egyptians. So the four I wills that are represented by the cup of, the sanctif- cup of sanctification. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. The cup of judgment, I will rid you out of their bondage. The cup of redemption, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. And the cup of praise, I will take you to me for a people. The first cup is the cup of sanctification, which represents the first I will. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptian. This is God's promise that he could bring the people out from under the cruel laws of the Egyptians. Let's raise our cups together. Baruch atah Adonai, Eloheinu melech Oh, I guess they're not filled yet. So we're going to go ahead and wait until the cups are filled before we say a blessing. And actually, this will work out well because then everyone can say the Hebrew with me. Remember, we've got four glasses. Don't get crazy. And, and there, I think there's, there's grape juice on certain tables if you want that. Raise, you can raise your hand and grape juice will be brought to you if it's not there. Okay, from the top of page seven, get your chuz going. Here we go. Baruch atah Adonai, Eloheinu melech haolam, pri hagafen. Blessed are you, O eternal our God, King of the universe, creator of the fruit of the vine. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, ruler of the world, who chose us out of all the people and selected us over all the nations and made us holy through his commandments. Lovingly, O Lord our God, you have given us Sabbath for rest, happy holidays, and joyous festivals. This feast of Passover, anniversary of our freedom, a holy assembly, honoring our outgoing from Egypt. For you have chosen us and made us holier than other peoples, and the Sabbath and your holy festivals did you give us lovingly and kindly with happiness and joy. Blessed are you, O Lord, who made the Sabbath, the people of Israel, and the festivals holy. You'll notice in the Haggadah under that under uh, that phrase, it says, upon conclusion of the blessings, all drink the first cup, reclining to the left. So traditionally, 
at a very traditional Seder, uh, it'll be held on the floor and everyone is, sort, is reclining. And that symbolizes our freedom, that when we were slaves in Egypt, we weren't allowed to recline. Uh, we were working, but now as free individuals, we're able to recline. So that's something that's done uh, throughout the Seder. Uh, for time constraints, we're actually not going to do the hand washing. Uh, we'll read through it and then discuss the importance, but we'll not, I won't be going around and washing everyone's hands. Concerning the washing, it is written, it was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. The evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was turning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drawing them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, a person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you, for he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. At this point, I would ask you to take a piece of the parsley that's on your plate, on your Seder plate, and there's a bowl, in, a white bowl in front of you that has some salt water in it. And we're going to dip it in the salt water. Oh, that was my water. Baruch atah Adonai, Eloheinu melech haolam, pari ha Blessed are you, O eternal our God, King of the universe, creator of the fruits of the earth. As the wine is red in color and represents the blood of the Passover lamb, so also do the greens represent the hyssop, which was used to place the blood of the Passover lamb upon the doorpost and the lintel. The salt water represents the tears shed in Egypt and the Red Sea, both of which are salty. The unleavened bread, or the matzah, is found in this special covering called uh, unity or matzatosh. Uh, and it has three sections on it. You'll see that there's a little bit of Hebrew on each of these sections. Now, this is part of a tradition that, that Jews will do at every Seder, and they don't actually understand why. Um, and even regarding the, the three sections of the matzatosh, they, they sort of fail to understand what the meaning of three is. Uh, some, some will say that it represents the high priests, the, the Levites, and Israel. Others will say that it's Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Um, and some of the, the legalists will say that it's the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the Essenes, just because they're just really strict, so they like that. Uh, and so while the Jews may not have a specific meaning or understanding about what the three areas are, as we'll see later, there's a very critical, important meaning that has a lot of implications for what Jesus was doing at the Seder. And so at this time, what I'll be doing is taking out the middle matzah and breaking it in half. So half of it stays with the other, with the other two layers, and this half goes into what's called an afikomen bag. And so what we do with the afikomen bag is, as I mentioned earlier, this, this turns into a game. And so I'm going to hide this. 
So all, everyone that's under the age of 15, uh, close your eyes, and I'm going to go hide this. You've got to close them real tight. Jesus can watch you. He's watching. Maybe it's going to be hidden over here or maybe over there. You're peeking. That's okay. So at a point later in the service, we'll have someone find the matzah and bring it back. So continuing on page nine under the yachutz, uh, and starting sort of in the middle there. The afikoman becomes an important part of the Seder service. The reason why this middle matzah is broken, the other two are not, is not clear in Jewish tradition. However, we as Christians realize that the unity is representational of God. Uh, a unique unity manifested in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then the, the significance of breaking the middle matzah will be seen later. The story of the Exodus is found in Exodus 12, verses 1 through 13. And it tells how God redeemed his people from Egypt by his mighty power. Literally, it is the Passover story of redemption by the shedding of blood of the Passover lamb. It is the story of death, of life, and of resurrection. Essentially, it has the elements of the gospel, for without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. And so God taught us to keep the Passover as a memorial feast of the physical salvation, which he wrought in Egypt, and to keep the Messiah's Passover as the spiritual salvation, which he wrought from sin. This is the bread of affliction which our ancestors ate in the land of Egypt. Let those who are hungry enter and eat thereof, and all who are in distress come and celebrate the Passover. At the present, we celebrate it here, but next year we hope to celebrate it in the land of Israel. This year, we are servants here, but next year we hope to be free men and women in the land of Israel. Moving over to page 15. You'll see there's something for the ten plagues. Now, part of this tradition is that we, we provide a commentary on when, when God was causing the ten plagues uh, to the Egyptians. And at one point, uh, I, I believe one of Pharaoh's um, magicians said, you know, this is the finger of God. And so at this point in the Seder, what we do is we dip our finger in the wine and we pour out one drop for each of the ten plagues. And so we'll sort of read from left to right. If you're not too comfortable, that's okay, but I'm going to do it. Blood. Frogs, vermin, flies, moraine, boils, hail, locusts, darkness, slaying on the firstborn. Now, many of us understand the importance of these 10 plagues. Uh, for, those, for those who do not, one of the interesting commentaries about these 10 plagues is that each one of the plagues that God caused was a direct slap in the face of what the Egyptians found to be holy. So the darkness was a direct slap in the face to, the, to their god Ra, to the sun god Ra. Uh, even the slaying of the firstborn was a slap in the face to the Pharaoh himself, who was considered to be a god of the people. So in each case, you have God demonstrating that he is greater than any of the gods of Egypt. 
How did God demonstrate that the greater his judgment, the greater his sufficiency and redemption? Rabbi Akiba said, how would you reckon that each blow which the holy and blessed one brought upon the Egyptians in Egypt was equivalent to five blows? As the holy scriptures say, he hurled his fierce anger upon them, wrath, fury, trouble, and a mission of angels of evil. His fierce anger is one, wrath, two, fury, three, trouble makes four, and the angels, five. Therefore, while in Egypt they received 50, on the, on the sea they received 250 blows. How many are the good deeds which God has done for us? On page 16, we're going to all recite, this is called the Dainu. This is, we would have been satisfied. And this really enumerates all of the blessings that God bestowed upon his people uh, from, from being in Egypt all the way from having the temple given to them. And so with each line, we'll recite the sentence and then we'll end it with Dainu. So if he had merely rescued us from Egypt, but had not punished the Egyptians, Dainu. If he had merely punished the Egyptians, but had not destroyed their gods, Dainu. If he had merely destroyed their gods, but had not slain their firstborn, Dainu. If he had merely slain their firstborn, but had not given us their property, Dainu. If he had merely given us their property, but had not split the sea for us, Dainu. If he had merely split the sea for us, but had not brought us through on dry ground, Dainu. If he had merely brought us through on dry ground, but had not drowned our oppressors, Dainu. If he had merely drowned our oppressors, but had not supplied us in the desert for 40 years, Dainu. If he had merely supplied us in the desert for 40 years, but had not fed us manna, Dainu. If he had merely fed us with manna, but had not given us the Sabbath, Dainu. If he had merely given us the Sabbath, but had not brought us to Mount Sinai, Dainu. If he had merely brought us to Mount Sinai, but had not given us the Torah, Dainu. If he had merely given us the Torah, but had not brought us to the land of Israel, Dainu. If he had merely brought us to the land of Israel, but had not built us a temple, we would have been satisfied. How much more then are we indebted for the manifold favors the Lord conferred on us? For he did take us out of Egypt and execute judgments on them and on their gods, and did slay their firstborn and give us their substance, and did tear the sea apart for us and bring us through it on dry ground and sink our oppressors in the midst of it, and did satisfy our needs in the desert for 40 years and feed us manna, and did give us the Sabbath, and did bring us to Mount Sinai, and give us the Torah, and bring us into the land of Israel, and did build us the house of his choosing to atone for all of our sins. As Christians, we can add a further Dainu, knowing that if God had only provided salvation through the death of our Messiah, it would have been enough. But we know that he did much more. For Jesus said of himself, I come to give light and to give it more abundantly. He satisfies and gives to us a joy in living which comes from personal faith in him. Rabbi Gamaliel used to say, he who does not speak forth of these three essentials of the Passover Seder has not discharged his duty. Pesach, or the Paschal Lamb. The Paschal Lamb, which our forefathers ate in the temple times, for what reason? Because the Holy One, blessed be he, spared the houses of our ancestors in Egypt. As it is said, you will say, this is the Paschal offering unto the Lord who passed over the houses of the children of Israel when he struck Egypt and spared our houses. Then the people bowed and worshiped. Does not the Holy Scripture say he was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth? He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. 
Also, the next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This matzah, which we eat, what is the reason for it? It is because there was not enough time for our father's dough to rise when the king of all kings appeared, when the holy and blessed one redeemed them. As the scriptures say, with the dough they had brought from Egypt, they baked cakes of unleavened bread. The dough was without yeast because they had been driven out of Egypt and did not have time to prepare food for themselves. You will notice that the matzah is unleavened. In its baking, it's pierced and it's striped. Unleavened because it's meant to be without contamination, a symbol of the meaning of sin. Pierced and striped as it illustrates the beautiful symbol of our Messiah, who being without sin yet was pierced, and according to the scripture, as found in Zechariah 12.10, and I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and supplication. They will look on me, the one they have pierced, and they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only child, and grieve bitterly for him as one grieves for a firstborn son. Also in Psalm 22.16, we read, Dogs have surrounded me, a band of evil men have encircled me, They have pierced my hands and feet. The prophet Isaiah declares in Isaiah 53, 5, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. The maror, which we eat, what is the reason for it? It is because the Egyptians embittered the lives of our forefathers in Egypt. As the Holy Scriptures say, they made their lives bitter with hard work in brick and mortar, and with all kinds of work in the fields. and all their hard work labor, the Egyptians used them ruthlessly. The bitter herb speaks to the sorrow, the persecution, and the suffering of our people under the hand of pharaohs. And as horseradish brings tears to the eyes, so also did the great affliction of our people bring tears to their eyes. In every generation, let each man look on himself as if he came forth out of Egypt. As the Bible says, on that day, tell your son, I do this because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. It was not only our fathers that the Holy One, blessed be he, redeemed, but as well he did, he, did he redeem along with them. As the Bible says, but he brought us out from there to bring us in and give us the land that he promised on oath to our forefathers. Likewise, we who by faith have experienced the Lord's Passover have been redeemed from the bondage of sin. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Moving on to page 22. We're now going to take the the second cup, and we're going to start, we're going to read together where it starts with truly, on the bottom of page 22. Truly, we can say hallelujah for the great redemption which God has wrought on our behalf, redemption at a terrific price. In Egypt, the death of the firstborn Redemption from sin, the death of God's Son. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Baruch atah Adonai, Eloheinu melech olam, pri hagafen. Blessed are you, O eternal our God, King of the universe, creator of the fruit of the vine. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. 
Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctified us with his commandments and commanded us concerning the eating of the unleavened bread. At this time, you can take a piece of the matzah that's on your plate and partake of that. Once you've completed that, you can take another piece of the matzah and dip it into the horseradish. The horseradish is the white, the white stuff that's on the Seder plate, not the chorosid, which is the cement look mixture. Right, the mayonnaise. Thank you. That's a much better description. Whoever said that. And then we'll all recite together. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctified us with his commandments and commanded us concerning the eating of bitter herbs. The bitter herb speaks of the sorrow, the persecution, and the suffering of our people under the hand of Pharaoh. As horseradish brings tears to the eyes, so also did the great affliction of our people bring tears to their eyes. Now what you can do is actually take two pieces of matzah, and we're going to make a little matzah sandwich. And so you're going to put a little bit of the horseradish on one side. <clears throat> horseradish has a little punch. I'm a lightweight. <laughs> and then you're going to put the, the red, it's the... Raisins and walnuts and wine and apple mixture, the choroset. And you're going to put that on the other and you're going to make a little sandwich together. Choroset. Uh, and so it's, it's apples, walnuts, um, honey, and wine. As the bitter herb is a symbol of suffering, the salt water a symbol of tears, the greens a symbol of hyssop, and the wine a symbol of blood, so the chorosid is a symbol of mortar representing the clay bricks which were made by our, by our people in Egypt. So at this point in the Seder, this would sort of be the halfway point, and we, this is when we break for a meal and have matzo ball soup and potato kugel and apple kugel. And, oh, I hope Aaron has my dinner ready for when I get home. And so uh, after, after the Seder, people would come back together, and, you know, the kids might be starting to get a little sleepy, um, as they might be right now. And so this is when we play sort of hide-and-seek. And so for all the kids who had their eyes closed before, if you want to all get up and try to find that pouch that has the matzah in it and bring it to me once you find it, go for it. You got to find the pouch. Did you find it? All right, bring it up. Good job. Thank you very much. And like I said, it's a game, so what's a game without a reward? <laughs> there you go. Yep. <laughs> in, in, in all seriousness, as much fun as the Seder can be, you get to try new foods. Um, there's little games for kids. 
What often gets sad, uh, is a little sad to me, is that uh, this afikomen part uh, loses a lot of significance uh, in the Jewish culture, uh, mainly because it's turned strictly into a game. And the relevance of it to us as Christians has such um, immense, uh, I guess, immense personalization for our faith in Jesus. It was at this point of the meal that Jesus actually took the bread and broke it and distributed it to his disciples uh, and said, this is my body. And so when we think about that in the context of the Seder, that you have this tradition that the disciples that Jesus had been doing their entire lives, Jesus had the knowledge of what his ministry was, of who he was as the Son of God. But you have, you know, countless generations who are going through, they're breaking the middle matzah, they're hiding it, they're bringing it back. It's a fun little game, Uh, but there's no meaning there for them. But as Christians, it's so obvious to us when we see three in one, we see the middle matzah is broken, part of it is hidden, to then be returned back to the fold, to be distributed among everyone to be partaken of. It's such a bold, such a, it's such an important reference to Jesus' ministry. And it, and it always um, astounds me how Jesus used this, this example sort of in his final act of Jewishness before he went to the cross to really illustrate who he was. You know, Passover is, is an important holiday not only because it remembers um, God's deliverance of his people in Egypt, but it's also the oldest holiday that predates the law. When you study the Old Testament and you look at when Passover was given as uh, sort of an edict or a statute for the Jewish people to celebrate, it was before the commandments were given, before the other feasts were given. And God said, you must do this. Uh, in fact, there's only, there are only two sort of sacraments that were given before the law, Passover and circumcision. I generally like Passover. Um, and so... God did that for a reason. A lot of times we might sort of gloss over these things and say, it's another holiday. It's something that we do. It's something that sort of gives us insights on Jesus. But the fact that God was deliberate about putting it, uh, giving it to the people before the law, the fact that it foreshadows Jesus in every possible way. We see a lot of times in prophecy in the Old Testament that there's dual meanings. A prophet might be uh, prophesying about an event that's about to happen to the people. They're about to be taken away. They're about to be invaded. They're going to be punished, but there's a duality. There's something that's foreshadowing. And nothing to me is as foreshadowing as this holiday was where God specifically set it up to remind the people that not only was he saving them from bondage of of Egypt, but that he was saving us from the bondage of sin and that he was giving us his son um, as, as the substitute, as a remission for sin. So what we traditionally do is we take, we take the afikomen and we take a little piece and I'll pass it around for as, 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 as long as it, as far as it lasts. Uh, we don't have a big enough matzah for, for everybody, but you can take a piece from your table uh, if it doesn't get around to you. And continue reading on page 25. The afikomen is our substitute for the Paschal Lamb, which in the days of old was the original Seder feast. Concerning the afikomen, it is written, and he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Concerning the Messiah, it is written, Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth. It is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, from now on, give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. I am the bread of life. Your forefathers ate the man in the desert, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which a man may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone wants to eat of this bread, he will live forever. 
This bread is my flesh, which I give for the life of the world. Is it not significant that it is this middle matzah, which was broken and then hid away, finally to be brought back, broken and distributed, that Jesus points to and says, this is my body, which is given for you. Is it not significant that afikomen means I have come? Remember, the matzah is unleavened, it is striped and it is pierced. Even so, the Messiah was unleavened, that is sinless. Even so, the Messiah was stripped, striped by the way of the Roman whip. Even so, the Messiah was pierced by the nails in his hands and feet and by the spear in his side. If you are a believer tonight in the Messiah, you can eat this piece as in a communion service, reminding yourself of what happened in the upper room at the Last Supper. Also, as you eat it, will remind you of what the Messiah did for you and that he came and gave himself for your sins. Baruch atah Adonai, Eloheinu melech haolam, amotzi lechem in haoretz. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. We move to the third cup, the cup of redemption. This cup represents the third I will. I will redeem you. This is God's promise that he would redeem his people from slavery, meaning he would buy them back. It is this cup after the supper in the upper room, which Jesus raised and said, this is the new Testament in my blood, which is shed for you. Our Messiah came, he died, shedding his blood, even as the Passover lamb of old to provide for all who will place their faith and trust in him, redemption from sin. Blessed are you, O eternal our God, King of the universe, creator of the fruit of the vine. As we close out this, this celebration of, of the Seder, I'm going to read the hymn that was read in the garden when they went out after the Seder. And you can follow along or recite along with me on page 20. And this is, it's, it's called the Hallel, the praise to God. Praise the Lord. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Let the name of the Lord be praised both now and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to the place where it sets, the name of the Lord is to be praised. The Lord is exalted over all the nations, his glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God? the one who sits enthroned on high, who stoops down to look on the heavens and the earth. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. He seats them princes with the princes of their people. He settles the barren woman in her home as a happy mother of children. Praise the Lord. When Israel came out of Egypt, the house of Jacob from a people of foreign tongue, Judah became God's sanctuary. Israel, his dominion. The sea looked and fled. The Jordan turned back. The mountains skipped like rams. The hills like lambs. Why was it, O sea, that you fled? O Jordan, that you turned back? You mountains that you skip like rams. You hills like lambs. Tremble, O earth, at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the God of Jacob, who turned the rock into a pool the hard rock into springs of water. Heavenly Father, I'm just so thankful for your presence tonight, for the consistent reminder of of your son as the Messiah, that he was promised of old, that for countless generations, for, for thousands of years, 
your son was promised and despite your people falling away, despite all, us falling away, that you have a redeemer for us, that there's one who, can, who will take the place of death for us if we call on his name. And I ask for your forgiveness. I ask for your grace and we're thankful for your blessing. And for those who may not know your son, I ask that there might be an open heart tonight, that they might ponder these things, that a holiday that's been celebrated for thousands of years is not just a holiday, but a, but a reminder of your promise and of your undying, unfailing love for us. We thank you for this time together, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, at this part in our journey in Holy Week, um, the disciples had just completed what would later become known as the Last Supper. And at that point, Jesus and his disciples went out into the garden so that Jesus could pray. And after that, this is what unfolded. This is coming from Mark chapter 14, starting in verse 43. And immediately as he said this, Judas, one of the twelve disciples, arrived with a mob that was armed with swords and clubs. They had been sent out by the leading priest, the teachers of religious law, and the other leaders. Judas had given them a prearranged signal. You will know which one to arrest when I go over and give him the kiss of greeting. Then you can take him away under guard. As soon as they arrived, Judas walked up to Jesus. Teacher, he explained, and gave him the kiss. Then the others grabbed Jesus and arrested him. But someone pulled out a sword and slashed off an ear of the high priest's servant. Jesus asked them, Am I some dangerous criminal? that you came armed with swords and clubs to arrest me. Why didn't you arrest me in the temple? I was there teaching every day, but these things are happening to fulfill what the scriptures say about me. Meanwhile, all his disciples deserted him and ran away. Tomorrow night at 7 o'clock, we're going to be meeting here for the last of our Holy Week gatherings. Um, tomorrow is Good Friday in the tradition of the Christian church It's the day upon which Christ was crucified, and we're going to be gathering here together to pray and to listen and to keep watch. Um, Immediately following that gathering at 8 o'clock, we're going to be having a viewing of the movie Passion of the Christ. Um, If you're planning on coming, please be aware the movie is rated R, so plan appropriately. There is not going to be child care during the movie, so if you don't want your children to see it, be aware of that. And then immediately following the movie, the prayer visual will be beginning approximately around 10 o'clock and extending until 8 a.m. Sunday morning. Hopefully you guys will come and be a part of this time and just kind of as we wait and pray for Jesus to come back on Sunday morning. I'm going to close this in a word of prayer and then you guys are going to be good to go. Dear Lord, thank you for this time of reflection. Thank you for this meal that we symbolically ate and participated in to prepare and remind us of what the sacrifice you gave us actually meant and being able to put it into tangible things that we could touch, see, and feel. And I, um, I pray, Lord, that knowing what happened here just in the garden where in an intimate act you were betrayed by someone that was a part of your inner circle, so to speak, and I can't imagine the pain and the, the agony knowing what was to come the next day And Lord, I pray that as we walk through tomorrow that we won't forget the sacrifice that is coming. And even though tomorrow is a dark day, Lord, I pray and keep in mind that Sunday is coming and that you are going to conquer death and be made glorious. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, guys. Have a good night.